Welcome to Soccer 101, the podcast where we tackle the questions you never thought you had. Today, we're talking about the soundtrack to the beautiful game that augments the television viewing experience, soccer commentary. We're looking at its reason for being, its history, its legendary moments, and some of our favorite examples. Joining me to do so, maybe holding one of those commentary microphones really close to his mouth right now, Taylor Rockwell. I do want to try those. I've never used them before. They always seem very strange to me that you have to hold them right up to your mouth. I guess it removes all other noise except for gross mouth noise and the things you're saying. Yeah, and what I wonder, you know they have that that flat bit on the top. If you've got a moustache, does it comb it? (laughs) That that should be an optional feature to the microphone, yes. Indeed. Maybe uh, Graham Rudman is here. Do you have an answer to that, Graham? Yeah, I I don't think I'm needing the moustache comber mic anytime soon, maybe in a few years. But, uh, yeah, it's, I have to say, it's something <laughs> I have not thought about before. <laughs> Those mics are pretty pe- peculiar. Yeah, I think Manscaped need to make a microphone slash trimmer of some sort. What do you think, Joe Lowry? Um, I think that could have some alternate uses. But, yeah, I think, I think for what we're talking about here, that could work out really well. But, again, just not for Graham. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Let's move on swiftly from that comment. Um, <laughs> we're talking about soccer commentary I'd like to go around the group before we start and ask if we actually like soccer commentary as a thing. (laughs) I will say I do. I appreciate it as an art form. I think it's an important way to paint the narrative of a game. I think it can add to the atmosphere and the televisual experience, of course, when you have a good commentating team. And I also think, um, Graham, that it gives you a sense of comfort and familiarity. If If I... tune in and I hear Arlo White or if I hear Martin Tyler or Phil Shane or the, the, the commentators that I admire I know I'm in good hands I know that my experience will be enhanced by them being present Graham yeah I mean I, I think commentary personally I think commentary is really important to, to soccer as a as a spectacle and I so and, and so I guess it's only natural that soccer has become more of a spectacle as the Premier League has sought to make matches more of an, more of an event more emphasis has been placed on on commentary. Obviously, I have my opinions on who are the the good and the bad commentators, and I, I'm not saying that um, bad commentator teams improve the experience that I have watching soccer. But yeah, I think when you get good commentary, and I totally agree when you hear certain voices. So for me, we'll maybe talk about this a little bit later on. But Clive Tilsley, when I hear his voice, it's it's a big game. That's maybe a generational thing. He used to do like Champions League and. England games and major tournaments so that there's certain voices Martin Tyler you mentioned there's another one he's like the voice of the Premier League to me so yeah absolutely I I agree with that I think it can lift a spectacle it's a yes from me Clive um Taylor I I think it's also one must appreciate how difficult a skill that commentary is um I I'm I've actually tried it before in the past the first time I did it was do you remember Steve Nash used to do charity games in New York he did this like downtown in Chinatown I think it was called um He'd have yes. like Thierry Henry and just have Rossi and all of his friends playing in this game. I called one of these tournaments and then with Stu Holden doing colour. And it was very difficult, not least because it's a difficult skill in itself, but there was lots of basketball players and I don't know anything about the NBA. And I had loads of notes with their photos on them and it was very difficult, Taylor. 
Well, not not knowing things about a sport didn't stop Steve Nash from being a commentator. Uh, yeah, Whoa! I think oh, I think it is pretty difficult. Yikes. It is it is really challenging. And uh, Daryl and I <laughs> used to do them for Fubo broadcasts. Uh, or no, excuse me, for Rabble broadcasts. Uh, and then we would also do the play by play color commentary for the Richmond Kickers for two seasons. And we settled on that format because uh, when I was doing the play by play. I would just constantly be like, Richmond with the ball. Now Louisville has the ball. Now Richmond, like, it's really difficult to know the players and to say them with confidence, but not say it too often and not think like you're on radio. Finding the balance of let, like, informing versus letting there be silence versus having a little bit of back and forth. It's, it's a really difficult line to walk without ending up just kind of talking about your opinions on what's happening over and over again. And that's where I think commentary yeah. can be really frustrating. If, a, if one of the color, uh, commentators has a negative opinion about a player or thinks something hasn't gone well in the first five or ten minutes and then that keeps happening it just becomes that thing that they're harping on throughout the game and then that's when it can sort of detract from the game overall i'm glad you mentioned radio commentaries there as well there taylor because that that's obviously it feels like a completely different discipline a radio commentator to a a, a tv commentator obviously i think i my personal opinion is that radio commentary is the purest form of commentary and i often think the excitement you can get from radio commentary is is it can make a, a soccer match more exciting to listen to. And then you, I've often listened to the first half of a game in the car, thought it's the most exciting game yeah. there's ever been, gone in at half time, switched on the TV for the second half. And it's like a completely different game that's been described to me on the, on the radio. So I think radio commentaries, it seems yeah. really, really difficult because obviously TV, you want, you kind of want the pitchers to breathe a little bit and speak for themselves. Graham, that's so funny because I had the exact same experience in 2010 because I was, I was driving from Richmond to DC for work and then back. And so I would have ESPN radio on for, for some of the games. And then what I learned was that because of how they were doing it, I think they were in a more enclosed space. You couldn't hear the stupid Vuvuzelas nearly as much. So then I started basically muting the TV and trying to sync it up so I could get the radio broadcast where you didn't have the Vuvuzelas as much. And it is a different experience to listen to the radio where everything is high energy and every little thing is being discussed versus on the TV broadcast where you'd get 30 to 45 seconds of silence. And if you're listening on the radio, you think like, oh, I'm missing things. What's happening? I don't know. Versus if you're watching on TV, ah, they've been possessing in the back for the last three minutes. Maybe we don't have to be like up in our seats discussing it. Taylor, I'm rescinding my invitation to my Vuvuzela recital next week. Frankly, <laughs> that's your attitude. Uh, Joe, how do you feel about commentary? You were sound up enjoying the uh, commentary kind of guy? Um, uh, no, I don't, I don't, I don't really like commentary. I feel like a, I, I get frustrated with color commentary, especially play by play. I really do appreciate and I appreciate the skill and, and it's even something I, I think I'd like to try my hand at at some point, not play by play, but color commentary. I just get so frustrated with a lot of the color commentary. It feels to me like old British player talking about old British things and, and talking about his experiences <laughs> or her experiences that just don't attacked. really have a lot of value in a lot of contexts when I'm watching a game. So more often than not, there are exceptions to this that we'll talk about later. Commentators that I do really enjoy for one reason or another. But a lot of times, if I'm trying to watch a game so that we can talk about it on TSS or wherever the situation is, I'm going to write about it. I'm going to mute the commentary because I just sometimes I don't think it's very useful. All right, then. On that note, on this podcast about <laughs> soccer commentary, let's get into the, uh, the history, um, how it evolved. And I think, uh, Taylor, what we were discussing before, the, the, the evolution of commentary, and we've discussed it already, is radio. Uh, mm. According to my notes, the BBC first broadcast a game in 1927. Arsenal against Sheffield United, it was this game. 
Um, fascinating note here that I was reading that the sports broadcasting was so new at this point that the Radio Times, uh, the radio yes. magazine, yes. published a diagram of a football field divided into eight numbered squares. So while the play was being called, another voice would call out the numbers corresponding to the area of the pitch the action was taking place in, this allowing listeners to follow the match at home using their own grid. And that is thought to be <laughs> the origin of the phrase back to square one. That is wild, Taylor. I didn't know So that. good. Wow. I did not know that either until this very moment. And now all I can picture is the be sure to drink your Ovaltine scene from a Christmas story where it's, is it a Christmas story? I think it is where he's like, like having to decode the radio broadcast feels like an intense way to watch a game of soccer. Yeah. And back to square one. There you go. Yeah. That's where it came from. Following a grid that, on the radio broadcast. I did love learning that it was that, that period, like the, the 1920s, when it becomes more, far more widespread. And that coincides with the end of World War One, uh, pre-Depression era. So you have just people sort of interested, as I understood it, in the in, in sport, in distractions from the, the real world. And then it becomes this more like celebrity thing and people are interested in the fame and that's where players start to get notoriety. And a lot of that relates to those radio broadcasts making those names more of just like familiar to, to people at home. And so I think it's cool to hear how it kind of goes from that to what it is today and which sort of does the same thing. It helps us understand what's going on and helps us understand who some of these people are. Joe, according to my notes, 16th of September 1937 was the date the first soccer game was seen on television in a specially arranged match between Arsenal's first and second team. I wasn't be able to find I wasn't able to find out whether it had commentary or not, but um have you found out anything about the origins of TV commentating? Yeah, it did start up right around 1936-1937. I-, I wonder if Arsenal and Arsenal's reserves were fighting for eighth in the Premier League at the same time. I know the Premier League didn't <laughs> exist, but can't have been that riveting of a game. The first live televised football game was a lot later, actually. I don't, I don't know the specifics, the specific reasons for that, but it was 1946, according to the research I've done. Barnett versus Weldstone, which is just a phenomenal name for a soccer club. But they did start those broadcasts earlier on in the 1930s. And then a lot of TV broadcasts were suspended right around that time until after World War II. So it, it kind of got its start right before the war and then picked up again after the war. And it took a while for a healthy number of soccer games to be on TV, possibly because of some of the same issues that TV broadcasters are dealing with now in regards to uh, a lot of people still wanting to have folks attend games and not miss out by just watching at home. But right around the 30s and 40s, the, the art started and it actually began and then it took until 1960 for a first division game to be broadcast live on TV in the UK, at least. And then the 60s TV deals started happening. ITV agreed to a deal worth about 150,000 pounds with the Football League to televise 26 games in 1960. And it kind of took off from there. By the 80s, it was worth the TV deals for uh, English soccer games were worth millions and millions of pounds. And obviously, we know now uh, it's worth a lot more than that. Yeah. Uh, there, there was a pause in sort of broadcasting between 39 and 45. People were quite busy uh, with other things during that period. Um, <laughs> Barnett and Weldstone. God bless you, Joe. I love that. Is that is that not right? I feel like it's I, not I'd right. I'd go Barnett and Weldstone myself. But, uh, ah, that's well, just a bailor to you, sir. A bailor to you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Graham, any, any thoughts on the history that we've missed out thus far? Well, when I was, I was uh, looking back at some of the old footage, particularly from the, the 1960s, I just thought it was really interesting how 
commentary has evolved. So from that time, they're still trying to figure out if TV is for entertainment or just to read news headlines over and over again all day. It was all very informative. So it's it's kind of player's name, player's name, and he shoots, and it's a goal, 1-0 to Huddersfield Town. And you don't really get anything more than that. Um, and obviously, that has evolved to present day where commentary is about much more than that. You have opinion in there, um, which I'm not always that keen on having that from the, the lead commentator anyway. I think that's the co-commentator's job, but you have opinion in there, you have expression in there, you know, and that just wasn't the case in the 60s and the early days of TV commentary. I did like the accent though, Graham. The, uh, the received pronunciation, isn't it delightful? Yeah, yeah. We we could maybe have like a, a retro game where uh, like Martin Tyler does that or Arlo White does that. I'd I'd be up for that. It's worth uh, it's worth mentioning at this point, by the way. Certainly in terms of British broadcasting, Graham. Um, I I might be mistaken, but a regional accent wouldn't have been heard on broadcast at that point. Certainly not on the BBC. So when Andy Gray, for example, started doing uh, color uh, color commentary on Sky Sports in the nineties, that would have been one of the first regional accents, as in non-standard. London sounds like me kind of accents, Graham. <laughs> yeah, I mean, everyone sounds like you for the first kind of 50 years of, of TV, and you could yeah. argue it's still a bit like that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Andy Gray, I think we'll probably talk about Andy Gray. Well, I'm certainly going to mention Andy Gray um, later on in the podcast as one of the, the kind of the the landmark names, I guess, someone who mm-hmm. kind of changed the commentary uh, landscape. As will I, Graham. Why don't we take a quick break here? And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the approaches to commentary over the years, some of our favourites, and some of those legendary moments. Right back. Today's episode of Soccer 101 is brought to you by NetSuite. Successful companies know faster growth requires the right tools. If you're doing one, ten, or hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more all in one place. And perhaps as importantly, it does it very quickly. Slow works if you are on vacation or if you're a sloth. If you're a sloth, slow is sort of your nature. If you're a cheetah, not so much. And if you want the cheetah of financial systems, then NetSuite by Oracle is the way to go. You can automate your processes and close your books in no time, no matter how big your business grows. And it's worth noting, 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control since switching to NetSuite. Right now, special financing is back. NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program only for those ready to switch today. Head to netsuite.com slash sports right now. Get special financing at netsuite.com slash sports. One more time, netsuite.com slash sports. Welcome back to Soccer 101. We are talking about soccer commentary. Um, as you mentioned, I think Graham mentioned this earlier, how different the disciplines are between radio and TV. And I think when we're talking about commentators who do a good job, Graham, is it the ones who know when not to talk? It's the spaces in between. It's like music. Sometimes the spaces between the notes are as important as the notes themselves and I think there is there are some commentators who might feel the air a little bit more and maybe this might be a generalization but in in US commentary there's there's a tendency to keep speaking whereas there might be a few more nuances and gaps left in 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 the European commentary yeah 100% this is this is one of my my biggest uh, pet peeves with with commentary at, at particularly at the moment it seems to be becoming more and more the case where commentators feel they need to to fill every second of of airtime, and and I, I think back to some of the the kind of 
the best moments of commentary. Um, one of the, the most iconic is Martin Tyler for Sergio Aguero's goal that won Manchester City, their first Premier League title in 2012. And obviously he, he has the big moment of expression, the big Aguero moment. But then after that, he kind of lets the pictures speak for themselves. And when the crowd noise is what it is and, and when the drama is what it is in that moment, that's all he needs to do. And he, and he adds a simple, brilliant line of, I swear you'll see nothing, or, I swear you'll see, you'll never see anything like this again. And it just doesn't feel like he needs to add anything more to that moment. And I think that's a perfect example of, of, of brilliant commentary where, yes, he's got the iconic moment, the thing that everyone, that everyone remembers that goal for. It's actually become such an integral part of that moment. I, I, I don't know if anyone can recall Aguero's farewell as a Manchester City player it was a bit of a cringe moment as Tyler was was made to kind of recreate the moment but without that inherent inherent excitement that was the case on the day it was it was all a bit weird but it just shows how how important that call was to that goal and I, I think it's as you say Ryan it's not so much in what he says but what he doesn't say. Taylor um at this point maybe we can talk about some of the approaches to commentary that have worked that we thought have worked some that didn't I, I don't want to go too negative but the one that strikes me as an approach that didn't work was when fox brought gus johnson on who is by yep. all accounts an excellent broadcaster and mm-hmm. a very good sports broadcaster but it became apparent when he was on fox was it about 2011 for a few years that yep. he wasn't quite suited to the rhythms of the sport and didn't quite have the the nuances of the sport nailed down and you know there are yep. plenty of Excellent U.S. commentators and US, uh, American voices. Uh, Phil Shano, I've mentioned earlier. J.P. Della Camera, play, people like Matteo Benetti on, on CBS. All excellent. But when it came to Gus Johnson, he it just didn't quite click, Taylor. No, because I think like like each sport requires its own style, I think, and its own approach. I think there can be sort of commentary approaches per sport. And I think Gus Johnson coming from, I believe, more of a football background you're used to sort of the play and then you talk. And then in the play, you're talking about the big moment that's happening if something happens. And if not, you're sort of filling the space after the thing has occurred. Whereas with soccer, where it's constantly flowing and changing, you have to be able to explain what's going on. And if your background isn't the sport, you're not going to be able to do that. And it's the color commentator's job, obviously, to explain the ins and outs and why this player went there or what's happening or they shifted to a back three. But the play-by-play analyst still has to, or play-by-play person still has to be able to sort of understand what's happening in the moment and the kind of just like the flow of the game from one side to the other. And if you don't have that background, it makes it much harder. So then I think of the people who do, to my mind, from an, at least from an American broadcast perspective, I think John Strong is very good at it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're absolutely right to shout out uh, Phil Shane and then Ray Hudson partnering him. And that's where we get into the play-by-play color combo. And you can have different combinations of that. And I think John Strong with Stu Holden or John Strong with Maurice Adu more recently. I've really enjoyed Maurice Adu as a as a color commentator here in the States because he doesn't do as much. He'll bring in the my playing experience when it's justified and when it's useful. But for the most part, just, just, just does a very good job of explaining what is happening, why this play didn't work, what they've tried to change, what he thinks they're trying to change. And I think... Not really making it about himself, but making it about explaining to an audience what's happening. That is one approach that is really excellent. The Phil Shane Ray Hudson approach is to entertain. And Phil Shane does a really good job of playing the straight man while Ray Hudson talks about slippery as an eel and all those amazing things that he says that sort of give you that back and forth, that difference in, in, 
in chemistry or that just different that approach. It reminds me a little bit of Pat Summerall, John Madden, uh, where you have one sort of telling you what's happening and then one talking about two buckets getting married, which is one of my favorite <laughs> John Madden clips of all time that actually happened. They had a baby bucket. Um, I'm sorry, what? He like he I think I can't tell if it was scripted or not, but they were clearly bored in a game and there were two Gatorade buckets, like giant buckets that were going to be dumped on a coach. So he diagrammed which one he thought was going to which which coach. And then there was a smaller bucket and he decided to make that that the two buckets had gotten married and given birth to a baby (laughs) bucket. And that baby bucket would be used to be dumped. It was like this is what I'm talking about. You can have these moments that stand out anytime you have something that stands out because it's clearly just two people being bored or being goofy. Like, I think that. That also is really fun because what it ends up being is you want to hear people who seem to, at the very least, enjoy each other and have a bit of that rapport. It's why NBC Sports, I think, is so smart to show us their commentary teams at time and how they're kind of ribbing each other. But you get this impression that, like, I'm sure they were not, but they often give you this impression that they were, like, at the pub just before having a drink. And now they're at the stadium ready for this game. And when you feel like it's kind of friends hanging out, talking soccer, it's going to make it more appealing. I do have a counter to that that I think is is almost as fascinating from a like semi-performance art standpoint, but we can talk about that one later. I think that, that really uh, nails it down for me, Taylor, in terms of the two approaches which I think are really successful. Either it's a, it's a, a color commentator or a main commentator who really knows his onions and who can really, really narrate a game for you. And I actually think of NFL, I think of someone like Tony Romo, who seemed to almost change change the way things were so done. good just yep. the way he could just completely predict every single thing that's going to happen he's incredible at that job he's just he's just absolutely gifted and is meant to do that and then the other the other approach is as you say taylor when you have two people who have great chemistry who you think have been in the pub beforehand and i think phil shane and, and ray hudson have that to a certain extent but yep. it makes me think of some like ian dark and steve McManaman on ESPN back before the NBC days doing Premier League in the States. They had such good chemistry. You could just tell they're having a really good time. They bounced off each other so well. And in a way, it's, an, it's adding an extra layer to the entertainment because they're not just describing the game. You're, you're, you're seeing this friendship sort of play out for 90 minutes as well. And I think the other one is one that Graham touched on as well is the soundtrack to me growing up watching soccer on Sky Sports when the Premier League was invented, when uh, the Premier League invented soccer in 1992. Um, Martin Tyler and Andy Gray, who worked really well together, and you could tell they had a, an excellent relationship as well. I, I wanted to ask you, Joe, as someone who may not love commentary, I know someone like Ray Hudson, I, w- I would call him an innovator in terms of his approach, in terms of, you know, the the... You know, defenders try to follow him on Facebook and he comes out on Twitter. That's how evasive he is, (laughs) that kind of stuff. It is kind of innovative innovative in the space. And I know he's a bit love him or hate him. Where do you stand on something like that? And I don't want you to disparage Ray Hudson in any way. No, uh, no. I love love Ray Hudson and I love that approach to commentary. Because like I said at the beginning, there are examples where I really do enjoy commentary, even though I can be a bit of a curmudgeon at times. I like the, the innovative approach when it comes to two people that have been that very clearly have a relationship with each other and that comes across on screen, right? I think that's one of the, the principles of doing a podcast as well is having that relationship with the people that you're doing it with and having that come across through the audio or through the visual, you know, portrait of those individuals. So I love that idea. I, Ray Hudson, I think is incredible. He's, he's very funny in the way that he presents those information, those bits of information. He also does talk about the game at times, but he's just so over the top in a way that is incredibly entertaining. So I love that. And I also love to go back to something that, that Ryan, you and Taylor were talking about. I love it when someone comes out that just really does know their stuff. Like, like the Tony Romo approach. That's my absolute favorite 
thing when it comes to soccer commentary. And the name that comes to mind for me is Emma Hayes. And we weren't yes, treated to yeah, getting absolutely. to watch her commentary here in the States during Euro 2020. But she was a pundit and did a bit of co-commentary as, as well, I believe, Graham, during Euro 2020 in the UK. And everything that I read about her and the little clips that I was able to watch, she was phenomenal because she's a brilliant soccer mind. And I, I love the idea of networks becoming more creative with the people they're bringing in, using the resources and connections they have to provide different broadcasting experiences and to open new avenues of information to people at home like us. I, I think that's a phenomenal idea. And CBS has done it kind of with Roberto Martinez in the studio, but I think he and Emma Hayes approach soccer very differently. And I, I love some of the the stats and the different things that Emma Hayes presents, her experience coaching from the sidelines. I think I'd love to see more of that, both you know, women's soccer coaches being brought in for men's tournaments or, or whatever, vice versa even, whatever the situation is, getting more information and, and higher quality information to people at home. I think it's a great way to do it. And Tony Rome was a great example for the NFL. And Emma Hayes, I think, is, is the best example I can think of for soccer. Yeah. Graham, your thoughts on your favorite uh, color commentary and commentary couples of, um, I mentioned Martin Tyler and Andy Gray, for example. I'm sure you have something to say about that. And Emma Hayes, of course, was very famously rude about AFC Wimbledon, but we can overlook that. <laughs> <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. Uh, yeah, Emma Hayes is, is down in my notes. She kind of changed the game a little bit at the Euros. Um, she is the, the, the sharpest analyst on British soccer TV, and it's yeah. not actually close at all. <laughs> uh, she's on a different level to everyone else. It, it doesn't feel like she's being smart for the sake of being smart either. She is a, a mid-match explainer. And you come away from a game feeling like you, you've learned something. So that, that fits into the approach that you were, that, um, Taylor and, and Ryan were talking about of someone who kind of explains things as, it, as, as it's happening. The other one that I have to mention, it would be remiss of me not to mention him would be, uh, Ali McCoist. I think one of my f- least favorite, he's, he's the completely other approach, which is, you know, guy in the pub, guy you'd like to have a, a pint with. He, one of my least favorite things about the current crop of co-commentators, color commentators is so, is how so many seem to be having the worst time. Like you're watching soccer and getting paid for it. Maybe cheer up a little bit. Ali McCoy is Grant the Rutland antidote. This, by the way, <laughs> that's true. I may be slightly hypocritical there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Ali McCoy is the antidote to this. His his best quality is that he always seems to be very happy. Has great chemistry, in particular with John Champion, who he did a lot of stuff um, during the 2018 World Cup. But he was doing stuff with Clive Tilsley during the Euros. He seems to just have a good chemistry with everyone. Uh, he has to be one of the most likable people in soccer. And he actually does, you know, his his soccer analysis might not be the sharpest, but he brings a lot of other research. So during the, the 2018 World Cup, I learned more about the history of Russia and the Soviet Union from McCoy than anyone else. He seems to really like his history. So, you know, maybe that's not what you want for the final, but it's certainly what you would want for a, a group game that maybe doesn't pique your interest that much. And um, yeah, Andy Gray, I think, obviously, um, his his British broadcasting career kind of ended in in disgrace. But I think you have to mention him when talking about colour commentators, particularly here in the UK, because he was the the king co-commentator to the point where he almost made that a role. I don't really, I mean, Ryan, you you know, not to age you in any way, you're slightly older than than myself, but I I don't really remember co-commentary being as big a thing. It wasn't as big an emphasis until kind of Andy Gray and Sky changed that. And then it just became a requirement for everyone, not just to have a co-commentator, but to have someone who could give opinions and analyze games in in quite a kind of bold way. 
Yeah, and it was it was a team between Tyler and Andy Gray. Martin Tyler is someone who is a very good professional broadcaster but never played the game versus Andy Gray who did. And they both offered different things, I think, Graham, is what, what it was. Um, and I, I, th- I think this was, do you remember the Steven Gerrard goal, the volley yeah. against Olympiacos? And I think it was Tyler with Andy Gray, but I can always remember Andy Gray, what a hit, son, what a hit. And he's celebrating, he's screaming, like celebrating this goal for a Liverpool player. Uh, who, and Andy Gray, of course, who played for Everton. So it's it it does show you how he can bring the emotion to it and he and some of those some of those lines you hear in soccer commentary can stick with you as much as you visualize the goals as well. Which brings me, Taylor, to should we talk about some of our favorite and the most iconic uh, bits of commentary? For you example, should. Taylor, can May I say one be... thing really quickly though? Yeah, because please do. It's like a quick wrinkle that I, I wanted to. I agree with everything we've said. The one outlier, if I'm in the mood for it, I think it is great. Is when you have a play-by-play person who is who is doing a very professional job and they are unflappable and they are partnered with. And this goes kind of against what Graham was saying. I do enjoy when it's an unemotional uh, color commentator and. Usually a German, specifically Lutz Fadenstiel, is one of my favorite ones for just, like, I, I can't remember the exact one. I tried to find it. But there was a game, like, a season or two ago when it was, I think it was an American doing the play-by-play. And it was something like, Dortmund are creating very good chances, uh, but they aren't taking them. Holland with a great chance there. Lutz, what do they need to do better? And there's a half Mississippi pause. And then, yeah, they should score. <laughs> and then it's like, and Mainz have the goal kick. And it's just like that. It's just very like dry and to the point. And you can tell he's making a joke, but then not laughing at his joke. Yeah. But those sort of very dry moments that then when the play-by-play uh, person is not affected at all and just continues on, it is almost performance art levels of hilarity to me. So I do enjoy that one, but that's less to do with being informed. Uh, and I do, I don't know if we've talked about John Motson, but I want to shout him for a moment because mm. I think for a lot of people of a certain age, commentary was informed by FIFA and the voices that did FIFA were the ones that you became familiar with. And growing up, John Motson was the one that I just assumed announced every single soccer game in every single league all the time. Uh, it turned out not to be the case, but that is one of the, the formative voices. Andy Gray is one uh, because I think he was also, it was like Motson and Gray. And then it was like uh, Clive Tisley and Gray. I think they've did it a couple of different combinations yeah. in there. Uh, but yeah, so I think FIFA informative, Lutz Fanenstiel equally informative. And, and, and that's great about Lutz because he's he's mad as a box of frogs, Lutz, as well. So it's great to him being dry like that as well. It's basically Werner Herzog doing commentary. <laughs> PFT doing Herzog, even better. Exactly, um, exactly. The, and, and the thing with John Monson is important to note that he he was very much the voice of British coverage. He was he did the main game on Match of the Day every week when I was mm-hmm. growing up as well. So he had Martin Tyler, Andy Gray on the inventors of soccer, Sky Sports, and then the BBC coverage on Match of the Day. So they they were very much a voice. Uh, as well and when you talk about performance art taylor that makes me think of um gary neville 2012 barcelona versus chelsea where his reaction to uh fernando torres's stoppage time winner for chelsea was (laughs) (laughs) he had some feelings about that one yeah he liked it, didn't he? He liked he it. That's, it's he good did. when you get the emotion coming across. Uh, so why don't we talk about some of our favorites? That's one of my favorites, the Gary Neville uh, noise that he made in 2012. Uh, Graham, we were chatting before the episode. Peter Drury in the Champions League quarterfinals. Take us through it. Yeah, so Peter Drury, I think he's he's maybe the the, the best wordsmith in the in the commentary world. So it, his, his, his approach is quite a, a poetic approach. So... Uh, yeah, when I think of Peter Drury, I think of um, Roma's comeback against Barcelona in the Champions League, where I think they win 3-0. Um, they lose the, the first leg 
2-0 and um, Costas Manolas scores the winner and P- Peter Drury, I'm not going to do justice to him, um, you're going to have to Google it, but he, he calls Costas Manolas a Greek god and it's this brilliant moment of, of ad-lib um, and it's as I say, it's just it's just poetry, and it's I only think I think only he could do it. I don't think there are many commentators like him, and I think I'll, I'll, that was after that goal, you kind of got an outpouring of appreciation for Peter Drury, and I think people actually listen to his games to hear his kind of his his poetic license. So yeah, that's one that I think of when I when I think of Peter Drury. That, so, that's one that stands out. So in that moment, Grand, the third goal goes in from Mandalos. And, you know, it's a high emotive point. And Drury has the composure to say, Rome, Roma have risen from their ruins. Mandalos, the Greek god in Rome, the unthinkable unfolds before our eyes. This was not meant to happen. This could not happen. This is happening. It was a Greek from Mount Olympus who's come to the seven hills of Rome and pulled <laughs> off a miracle. Wow. To come I mean, up I'm, with that I- off the dome. Incredible. Yeah, I'm laughing because it's just so good um, to to come, as you say, just come up with that on the spot is brilliant. Wonderful stuff. Um, Taylor, your, your thoughts on favourite and iconic moments. Does one of yours involve Clive Tilsley in 1999, perhaps? Uh, it absolutely does. Uh, and Solskjaer has won it, a base camp for the last final assault. So many good little I- improvisations in there, but also not filling the silence and letting the crowd noise instead do that so that you're still getting that, like the incredible atmosphere. And then the end Solskjaer has won it a little bit, a little bit, you know, cart before the horse, still some time left, could have gone a different way, uh, but it didn't. But yes, that is definitely my favorite one uh, a couple other uh, nominations would be i do love gudmundur benedictson the icelandic commentator for 2016 ryan i'm guessing you enjoyed that one less but his call of that goal and then basically berating england for leaving europe uh was terrific <laughs> uh, uh andres Cantor probably deserves a shout for as far as i know or at least in my understanding he is the one who started the saying goal for 40 seconds maybe that existed and he's just the one that made it most famous to me, but he is legendary for that. So I think that call just sort of being so big as it is, I think he deserves uh, a, Hang on, a shout. If I can mm. jump in on the goal for 40 seconds, was that not mm. a trick to uh, have commentator look at their notes, compose themselves for what they say next? Oh yeah, but it works really well. And then it becomes <laughs> performative and how long can you go without making it sound like you're trying? Because you never want it to be the person, I've heard that a few times, people doing their best impression of it but not getting enough breath so that the end is like, oh, like they're like losing it at the end because they need to breathe so much. Yeah. Yeah. And then they become Gary Neville. Exactly. Um, (laughs) And a man who really, really let the emotion take over, uh, Jack Van Gelder. Ryan, I think you wrote a a listicle about some of the greatest moments in commentary. This one did make it. And I agree. This would be the Dennis Bergkamp goal in 1998 when he is so overtaken by the moment and just, I mean, it's an incredible goal. It's what, three touches off of a 70-yard ball and he scores off of a volley after making a player. It's amazing, but he screams Dennis Bergkamp between 10 and 400 times. And it's just, <laughs> if you've never heard it, it's just so high-pitched and so emotional. And he, like, I, I picture him running around the stadium while yelling that one. And that one is is amazing. So you get those great moments. But yes, I think it's Clive. Clive Tildesley, I can never say his name properly because there's way too many letters in weird places. <laughs> yeah, Taylor, just going back to the, the Tilsley one for the 1999 yeah. final, I was looking back over at, at, at highlights of that, and sometimes in soccer highlights, commentators record their commentary after the fact, so they'll give teasers before things actually happen. And this is such a perfect call from Tilsley. Yeah. It's, it's like 
he's done that, but he didn't. He, he did it live. So before the equaliser, he says, you know, can Manchester United score? They always, they always score. score. Then they score. Then before the corner that Solskjaer scores the winner from, he says, you know, you have to feel this is their year or words to that effect. And I just think that that makes, it's not just in the end Solskjaer has won it. It's, it's everything that comes before it. It's, it's a three minute section of brilliant commentary. Um, and, and I have to mention a, a, a favorite of mine has to be Peter Martin's commentary for, James McFadden's winner for Scotland away to there France in 2007. I had to mention it. It's not a textbook piece of commentary, <laughs> but it's synonymous with the the goal because it, it reflected kind of how, at that moment, an entire country went crazy. He loses it. There's a point at which his voice is so high-pitched, it's essentially a dog whistle. And as I say, it re- reflected the insanity of that moment. My friend, I remember celebrating that goal, he punched his hand through a wall and uh, through a door sorry in celebration um <laughs> at that point we were three games away from qualifying ahead of the two world cup quali- uh, world cup finalists of the previous year so it's a brilliant moment and uh, yeah not textbook commentary but it's just brilliant joe has commentary ever um forced you to punch through a door in any way it hasn't. Uh, maybe someday it Enraged. will. I, right now, I still have all of my knuckles, and they all they all work. Yeah, enraged, Graham. That's probably closer to the reality. <laughs> Indeed, gents. I think um, we've we've uh, we've certainly done a good job of uh, talking about soccer commentary, the art thereof, and mentioning our favourites. If I could finish on the best one ever, nineteen sixty six World Cup final. Hmm. Young oh, man, they came with Arsenal. I knew you were going to do that Oh, one. Graham's sighing already. Here it comes. You'll know what happened here. England against West Germany. It's th- uh, England are 3-2 up. Some people are on the pitch. They think it's all over. Goal goes in. It is now. Is there anything more <laughs> perfect than that? No, I don't it, think there is. It's reminiscent of the band is on the field, but it's said much, much more calmly. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that is a good one. That is one that I think I hadn't I hadn't heard until that article that I read, Ryan. So I assume that was coming from you, but I agree. That's a pretty iconic one as well. Well, my my, my favorite one is when Norway beat England in 1981. Ah, and yes. the commentator goes, Lord Nelson, Lord Beaverbrook, Sir Winston Churchill, Sir Anthony Eden, Clement Attlee, Henry Cooper, Lady Diana, Maggie Thatcher. Can you hear me, Maggie Thatcher? Your boys took one hell of a beating. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're mentioning... 66 Ryan I'm getting that one in Graham I'll, at this point I'll reveal to you something I've not revealed before when England played Scotland at the Euros this summer I wrote a parody of that at Scotland but I didn't get to use it <laughs> well there you go that is revenge <laughs> it was like three pages long oh, that's a shame that's a shame Anyway, gents, thank you very much for joining me on this episode of Soccer 101 Soccer Commentary uh, Taylor thank you for your your contrips today I'm definitely Desperately trying to find the Icelandic one where he just berates England so we can put a lovely cap to this one. But I can't find it in time, so I'll just say, Ryan, thank you for hosting. It has been fun. It has been fun. Graham Ruthven, a pleasure, sir. No problem, Ryan. It is always fun, as Taylor says. And Joe Lowry, I hope we've uh, turned your opinion a little. And uh, maybe you love commentary now? (laughs) Maybe. Maybe. Thanks for having me, Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, listener. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye.